I'm super excited because it's really super hard to preach to just seats. So I've got a little bit of an audience here. You can kind of root me on and, and we'll have a good time. So praise God for that. All right. So what I want to do is I want to talk about a subject that's really, really uh, important, but mostly neglected. And I want to bring to our attention as a community, especially for new people, and also an encouragement for those that have been around for quite some time and understand it. Just want to encourage you with it because not many people uh, are really doing this area of our, our call uh, to holiness. And so uh, we'll jump into that. It's called the biblical diet. The biblical diet. So God is a sanctifier. He's a redeemer. He's a creator. He's a savior. And he also says that he's a sanctifier. He sanctifies things. The word sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. In fact, the word sanctify and holy are related terms. So that which is holy is that which is set aside for a holy purpose. God likes making things holy. That's what he does. So he's a sanctifier. He makes things holy. He separates and lifts things up out of the sphere of the common or ordinary and makes them sacred and special. So in Jesus, we go from the mass of unclean, defiled sinners to becoming his clean and holy, special people. We're called the chosen people. In Messiah, we're grafted into Believing Jews who represent Amsegula, my treasured people. So in Messiah, we are lifted out of the common and the ordinary, lifted out of the masses of a fallen race, and we become the children of God, a holy nation, a special people. Say it, I'm special. Does that? Doesn't that feel good? I like that. I'm special. You're special. In Messiah, God has made us special, a unique people, a sacred and holy people unto him. So as a special and holy people, he has given us a holy lifestyle. And that holy lifestyle also includes a holy diet. Think about that, right? There's so many diets out there. It's unbelievable. We're overwhelmed by all the different diets, except this one. It's the one that's often overlooked. Well, God has a special holy diet for us. So today we're going to take a deep dive into the realm of the biblical diet and what it imparts to us today. Our foundational passage is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. This is the Apostle Peter, the Jewish Apostle Peter. And he's writing his letter to Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. Jewish people who believe in Jesus and Gentile people who believe in Jesus. They're in this community together. And he is writing to this community. And this is what he has to say after sharing in his introduction the beauty and the wonder and the power of the gospel, the salvation that has come to us through faith in Jesus, he goes on to say, based on that, we're called to live in accordance with that gospel, with that grace, with that mercy that has come to us. He says in verses 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now that's a quote, by the way. He's saying God, who who has saved you, has called you to be holy in all of your conduct because he's holy. And now that you're his child, you're to be like him, holy in all of your conduct. Why? Because it is written. He's quoting. It is written. Where? In the Torah. It is written. You shall be holy, for I am holy. It comes from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is called the book of holiness. Now, this phrase, you shall be holy, for I am holy, it's, it's, it's found really in, in, in one place, but it's, it's, it's restated a little bit differently in four places in Leviticus. But, but the exact quote that we're looking at right now, it's actually found in Leviticus chapter 11. And it's in the context of the diet that he gave us. This phrase, you shall be holy for I am holy, is in the very matrix of the dietary laws of food. Can you imagine that? What does holiness have to do with food? How can food, how can our diet engage holiness? Yet it's in that context that God says, you you need to observe these laws because what? I'm holy and I want you to be holy. And somehow that relates to diet. And it does in a very powerful way. So let's just jump into that. It's found in verses 44 through 45. So um, if we don't have slides, make sure you open up your tablets, your Bibles or your smartphones or whatever, and you're going to have to follow along with me. So uh, get ready for this, right? All the way back to the Torah, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45. I just want to welcome some of our new guests here today. Uh, we canceled our services. That's why there's no one here. You probably came in and said, wow, this is a really small church. No, actually, we canceled so no one's here, but thanks for coming out. We have a few people here, and uh, we're doing a streamlined service, and it's being live streamed. So uh, welcome to the harvest. Uh, I hope you'll come back so you can meet a lot of our people, but um, we're glad you're here today. You'll be able to meet a few of us. Okay, so Leviticus chapter 11 44 through 45, concerning holiness and how it relates to diet. It says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Now, this comes on the heels of the previous 43 verses that are talking about what we can eat and what we cannot eat. Isn't that amazing that in the midst of God saying, here's things you can eat and these other things, they're forbidden. You can't eat them. They're not edible. He goes on to say, I want you to observe these laws because I'm holy. And because I'm holy, I want you to be holy. Tying together our diet with holiness. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about holiness, um, to make something holy means to set it apart for a, a, a holy use. So, so utensils in, in the uh, tabernacle for the sacrifices. 
where they slaughtered animals and they prepared them and, and the priests and the people would partake, like the peace offerings, would eat, would eat those, right? So they had utensils that were used in the temple. Those utensils were the same ones you had at home. The difference between the temple utensils and your utensils are the temple utensils are holy. They're sacred. They're only used by the priesthood in the sacrifices for those special offerings. They're never used. They're never taken home. They don't take them home and then bring them back. They're set aside and used only for that purpose. Therefore, they're holy because they've been set aside. God here is giving us a list of foods we can eat and foods we cannot eat. He's separating, right, and, and designating what we can eat because we're holy. And because we're holy, we can't just eat anything and everything. We're restricted to a special diet because we're holy unto the Lord. He separated us, and now he's wanting us to walk in a holiness that reflects that that sacredness that he's already done in our hearts through faith in Jesus. Following me? Does that make sense? Okay, so. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy." That's the quote that Peter's using to encourage his congregation, his people, to walk in a manner worthy of this great salvation. That, that's a mic drop when you think about it, right? Most people, when they think of holiness, they're not connecting holiness with food. But yet, the Torah does that. God does that. And Peter's calling his community to be engaged in a lifestyle that's holy, and that would certainly include their diet. And, and not only that, think about this. How many times do you eat? How many people eat three times a day? Raise your hands. How many people eat less than three times a day? Okay, we got a couple. How many people eat more than three times a day? Every head bowed, every eye closed, right? Okay, so can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? We have to think through when we're eating, especially when we go to a restaurant, right? And you're ordering, right? you got to constantly think through, okay, what can I eat? What can I not eat? At the, at the restaurant, you can get just about anything, especially if it's a Chinese restaurant. I'm not saying that negatively, okay? But the point is, is all kinds of things to eat. Yeah, we got to stop and say, okay, what can I eat? Because I can't eat everything. Why? I'm holy. See, what happens is it reminds you over and over and over that you're a holy people. You're special unto the Lord. You have a special diet. That reflects the fact that I'm chosen. I'm part of the chosen people. I'm holy unto the Lord. That's powerful. All of a sudden, we begin to experience that sanctification, right? And we experience it one, two, three, four times a day, five times a day. Man, God is brilliant in terms of figuring out ways to engage us in this holiness that he's given to us through his son, Jesus. That's amazing. I love that. So I do that all the time when we're at restaurants. I do that all the time. You know, my, we were at a restaurant and uh, my wife ordered a fish dish and it looked just delicious. We were eating all the stuff. It looked delicious. So I thought, you know, I better ask this question after we ordered. Got the waiter come back. I said, oh, I forgot to ask you. Um, that fish, what, what kind of fish is that? And he said, catfish. I said, 
We don't eat catfish. We don't eat dogfish. We don't, you know, it's got to have, it's got to have scales and fins. And, uh, you know, so we apologized and we ordered something else. Uh, but I thought to myself, it's amazing. You got to really kind of think through what you're doing. I remember the story of, uh, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn was at a restaurant and, and, um, and he's, he was stepping into this whole matrix of the dietary laws. And, and so the, he said, give me, give me, give me uh, a fish dish, you know. And they said, well, what would you like? He said, well, just anything with uh, scales and fins. They said, well, he says, yeah, just make sure if it has scales and fins, then I'm good to go. And so, so it was interesting because he knew enough about the dietary laws that the, if a fish has skins or scales and fins, it's edible. It's edible. Joe Olstein. Uh, I listened to some of his teaching. He's teaching his community at Lakewood to observe the dietary laws. It was fascinating. It was so encouraging to see that. I was so encouraged by that. So this whole issue of diet and holiness uh, is starting to have some traction, and that is, I think, a really good thing that's happening. So let's see. Where do I want to go with this? Um, Let's jump down to verses 46 through 47. This is the law, we call it the dietary laws, okay? This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground. Verse 47, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, to make a distinction, separation, This is called holiness. This is how you make things holy by separating them. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Some things are edible and some things are inedible. Some things are allowed and other things are forbidden when it comes to food. Not everything is edible for a holy people. God has given us a special diet because we are a special people. When you go and you can only eat certain things that shouldn't be negative, should be positive. It should be communicating to you, oh, you're special. It should remind you, oh, you're special, you're chosen. And then that diet becomes very attractive. Now, I know if you're first stepping into this diet, you know, I know years ago, it's probably 40 years ago, that I started coming into this whole realm of this holy diet. It bothered me because, man, I loved my lobster. I loved my, some of you are smiling. You're forgiven. So I love my lobster. I love my shrimp. I love my, you know, pork and and I thought, man, I don't know if I can eat without this stuff. You know, it's, you get so acclimated to it. But we decided we're going to step into that. And I, I was just learning about the dietary laws. This was all new to me. So I remember at our favorite, favorite Mexican restaurant, and I got my green chili with pork uh, so I could put it all over my burrito. And, and I, I was sitting there. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to start keeping these dietary laws. So I knew enough that I couldn't eat the pork. So I take the chunks of pork out of my green chili and I'd suck the green chili off and then I put my piece of pork to the side on a little dish because I couldn't eat that. Yeah, so that's where I started, right? And then finally, after a couple of months, I'm thinking, man, I got to find a restaurant that just has vegetarian green chili 
You know, I shouldn't be sucking the cube of pork to get all the chili off it and set it aside. That's just not going to... I've got to progress, right? I'm growing into this. So anyway, suffice it to say, over a period of time, we grew more and more into being careful in terms of what we were eating. And of course, the sizzle of that, the sizzle of that, because it's, it's not a sin. This is not a sin issue. It's a holiness issue. If, if you eat pork, you, you're unclean, which is a ritual term that communicates ideas about holiness. And so how do you, how do you correct that? Well, you wait till evening, you take a shower. Okay, so that's not like, that's not really what we think of when we think of atonement for sin, per se. It's a little bit different, okay? So these are lighter matters, the dietary laws. They're not big issues, they're lighter issues, but they're important issues because it engages us every day in this realm called holiness. That's why it's important, okay? So I don't want you getting all, all you know, nervous, nervous about it. It's something we can grow into, Okay. So, let me read this again. To make a distinction between the clean and the unclean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. So, being holy unto God includes, of course, our diet. Now, what I want to do is I want to jump to one of the passages that is used to make the dietary laws obsolete. And the passage is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. And basically, it's, it's simply they, this phrase that we find in Timothy is simply interpreted in a way that says, everything's good, everything is good if you receive it with thanksgiving and you pray over it. And if you do, then it's edible. So, so the dietary laws no longer enforce. Uh, you know, they're, 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 you know, no longer important. Because everything is actually good. We just need to give thanks and pray. I want to kind of challenge that with a little bit closer read from Timothy. So let's jump into um, Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. We're not quite there yet, but thank you. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5. Let me just begin uh, with verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Did you catch that? Because this is the context of verse 5. If you read verse 4, then you have a context for verse 5. And verse 5 now is going to read a little bit different than how people present it most of the time. Okay? It says in verse 3, those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created. Foods that God created. That tells us that God has created foods to be eaten, right? He has a list that he calls food. And, and, and we get a partake of that by giving thanksgiving. And so we who believe and know the truth understand that God has a list of food. 
God delineates what is food, right? Now, Genesis chapter 1 gives us that list. Gives us fruits, vegetables, grains, seeds, nuts, and herbs. So we have a lot just right out of the gate that God has given us as food. Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14 give us lists of animals, a select group of animals from the air, from the water, and from the land that can be eaten. So when you take the list in Genesis, which is um, your fruits and vegetables, and the list that I just kind of rattled off there, and you combine it with the animals, the select group of animals from the air, the water, and the land, then you have what's called food. You have what God has created as food. That's food that we can eat. Now, in addition to that, I'm going to throw this out. You can also eat locusts and grasshoppers and crickets. Yeah, you're going to have to dip those puppies in deep dark chocolate or I'm, I'm not going to eat them, all right? You don't have to eat them. It doesn't say you must eat them, but they are included in what God has called food. How many people eat grasshoppers? Anyone here? No one? Locusts? Okay. You know, okay. Okay, okay. So, so it was about four years ago, they had one of those historic just locust plagues in Israel. It was like, it was like the plagues of Egypt, right? They had these huge locusts that were just all over Israel. And vendors were catching them in nets. They were just catching, you know, gobs of them in nets. And they were frying them right there in their little fryers on street corners. And, and just like French fries at McDonald's, you could get a little pack of locusts, freshly fried locusts. Everyone's like eating locusts like they were French fries. So anyway, it makes the food list. I don't know why. You know, I'll have to ask God that one when we get there. So, uh, but anyway, it's on the list. All right, so. These are the specific foods that God gave us. All other things are inedible. They're not food. Now we go to verse 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, is it, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it, has, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So everything that God has created is good. And among all those good things, he's also delineated what is food, that which we can eat. And that also is made holy by prayer. So everything is good, but not everything is food. If you couple verse 3 with 4 and 5, then it makes sense. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. This is at the end of the sixth day when everything has been created and God's now going to rest. He's not going to create anymore because it's all done. It says, and God saw everything that he had made and that it was very good. Then there was evening and morning the sixth day. What that tells us is that everything that God has created is good. Not that everything is food, but everything that created is created by God is good. Snakes, are snakes good? Yes, they're good, but they're not edible as food. Are spiders good? Yes, 
They play an important role in our ecosystem. You have to have a lot of spiders in our world for our ecosystem to work. Are they good? Yes, for their purpose and function, but they're not edible as food. Are mice good? Yes, but not edible as food. Are rats good? Yes, not edible as food. Are bats good? Yes, but not edible as food. Everything is good, but not everything is edible. God, God tells his people specifically what is edible and what is inedible or forbidden to be eaten. So Timothy states that food is defined, delineated, and thus made holy by what? The word of God. He says, let's go back to slide 23. Slide 23, the last part of the verse, verse 5. For it, food, is made holy by the word of God in prayer. What does holy mean? To set apart. So it says, for it is made holy or it is set apart by the word of God. Well, where is it set apart by the word of God? Genesis 1, the fruits and vegetables and all that, right? Leviticus chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 14 also delineates what we can eat among the animals, i.e. it's set apart by the Word of God. You can go right to the Word of God and see what that special diet is, is uh, um, what the list is in terms of what we can eat. And then it's also made holy by our prayers. Now, most believers miss this because they pretty much ignore the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Their teachers and their pastors told them, oh, you're no longer under the law. It was nailed to the cross. Jesus did away with it. So you're under grace. Have some pig's feet and don't think about it too much. And that's kind of where we're at. So let's talk about law and grace. Due to a misunderstanding of law and grace, most Christians eat just about anything. Here are some things that are consumed by a number of believers around the world that God says is disgusting to eat. Pigs, dogs, snakes, alligator, mice, rats, bats. Now you might be saying, oh, that sounds, you know, like what? What are you talking about? No, if you go around the planet, around the globe, you'll find a lot of different people groups that actually consume this. Now, we say, oh, I'd never eat a dog, but we'll eat a pig, and both are unclean. How is it that we say one is edible and one is not, right? Either they're all edible or God has delineated what we can eat. The point is, is both pigs and dogs are forbidden. Snakes, alligator, mice, rats, bats. You can get all kinds of uh, dishes in different countries that are, are basically replete. They're rodents, and they're barbecued different ways, different sauces. Same with bats. You can get bat soup and, and, and barbecue bat. You, you can eat just about anything. It's just amazing. The world does not delineate at all because the world is common or profane due to the fall. But God says you're a holy people, you can't just eat anything. Even though everything is good, not everything is edible. Here's the things that are edible for a holy people. That diet is important. This diet is important for you, your loved ones, your family, 
It's about holiness. It's about experiencing what God is doing in our lives with this call to be different from those that are in the world. So here's a passage that many believers say is an end times passage. And the reason I bring this up is this. Almost everyone says, you know, all these old laws were for an ancient people and, and, and this has nothing to do with, with us now who are under the new covenant. Well, if we go all the way to the end of time where we know we're in that, that realm which, which consists of that new covenant era, right? At the very end of this age, we still find the dietary laws are super important. Let me read this for you. This is Isaiah 66. Again, uh, most believers place this word and this event at the end of time. The Lord will come with fire, verses 15 through 19. The Lord will come with fire. He will ride on the wings of a storm to punish those he is angry with. By fire and sword, he will punish all the people of the world whom he finds guilty, and many will be put to death. Verse 17, the Lord says, the end is near for those who purify themselves for pagan worship, who go in procession to sacred gardens, who eat pork and mice and other disgusting foods. Someone should tell Isaiah, Isaiah, wait, 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 wait. That's, that's in, that's in, that's down the road. We're under the new covenant. It's okay to eat these things now. The diet's no longer important. The law's been done away with. You're confused, Isaiah. Unless, of course, Isaiah is not confused and the dietary laws are not done away with and they're still in force. Concerning other translations and how they translate this, this uh, list of, of, of things that are inedible, they'll use words like those who eat rodents, those who eat lizards or reptiles. What do you think gator is? Anyone ever eat alligator? I did 40 years ago at, in Florida at some, some, yeah. I confessed it. I've been cleansed from it, and I'm good to go. All right, so, but yeah, it's just amazing the things that we will eat. These are classed as unclean things. It says these are disgusting foods. Other translations, dirty foods foul foods, hateful foods, abominable foods. God says it's an abomination to eat these things. They're forbidden. They're detestable. Verse 18, I know their thoughts and their deeds. I'm coming to gather the people of all the nations. When they come together, they will see what my power can do and will know that I'm the one who punishes them. Now, one of the qualifiers of an unholy pagan people is what they eat. Isn't that interesting? That one of the ways that God qualifies a pagan people group is by what they consume. I know this is so counterculture to what we talk about nowadays. But when you get back to the Word of God, His view is totally different than our views. He says, yes, one of the pagan or one of the qualifiers for, for an unholy pagan people is what they eat. Again, 
Why? Why would God's people, His holy people, want to eat something that is qualified as nasty and defiling? The reason we do that is because we were taught that all of this was done away with. Our teachers, our pastors didn't tell us the difference between the clean and the unclean, the pure and the impure, the edible and the inedible. The blame should never be on the people, right? We're just doing the best we can. We're just trusting our teachers, our religious traditions. We're doing the best we can and saying, okay, we're going to walk the walk and, and, and we're being taught by our pastors and teachers what that walk is. And that walk does not include what God has clearly included. So I put most of the bulk of the blame on our institutions and our teachers and our pastors. But nonetheless, we're still called to be in God's word be engaged in holiness, and if we are, then this comes into view, the diet that he has given to us. Notice what Ezekiel says about those religious leaders who don't teach the difference between the clean and unclean. Ezekiel 22 and verse 26 says, The priests break my law. Now the priests, one of the responsibilities of the priests is they were to teach the people the Torah. They were to teach people the way of life so that they as a holy people could live a holy lifestyle. That was one of their jobs. It says, the priests break my law and have no respect for what is holy. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. You know, you know I, I was reading an article about a megachurch that did their event um, during Super Bowl Sunday. And they had the staff dress up. They dressed up like they had a referee. They had, you know, jerseys on. And, and they had a Bible that was in a leather kind of kind of case that kind of looked like a football. And they were taking the, the Bible, and they were going to hike the Bible. And, and the pastor comes up, and he's going to kick the Bible and kick the Bible into the audience. And this was some kind of like gospel thing they were doing at Super Bowl Sunday and, and tying the Super Bowl into the gospel or whatever, and they're going to get the gospel out to the people. And I'm thinking, what on earth are we doing? We have no concept of the sacred and the holy. This is the Word of God. The Bible or it represents that what, what, what we have as a holy Bible is we have the Word of God in print. It's holy. It's sacred. Do you realize the shock of value if you're Jewish? Could you imagine taking Torah scrolls and kicking them into the audience? You'd not only lose your job, you'd probably be the afternoon offering that day. You know, you'd lose your life over that. What are we doing kicking the sacred scriptures into the audience? Yeah, it's because that pastor and that staff doesn't understand the concept of holiness, sacredness. So we do these kind of things. Well, we got to get back to all of the scriptures, not just the New Testament. It only comprises about one third of our Bibles. We need the other two thirds, the whole Bible, not just a part of the Bible, the whole Bible. 
this issue of holiness is very dear to the heart of Messiah and to the apostles themselves. So, verse 22 and verse 26 again, the second part. They do not teach the difference between clean and unclean. I'm sorry, they do not teach the difference between clean and unclean things. And they ignore the Sabbath. They ignore the Sabbath. Right? I mean, think about it. Almost 2 billion believers today are what? Ignoring the Sabbath. It is the forgotten day. That's why God says, remember the Sabbath to keep holy. He knew we would forget it. We'd forget and neglect it. And we did. Why? Because our teachers, just like Ezekiel here, our teachers were not teaching us the difference between the clean and the unclean, the edible and the inedible, and the holy days that God has given us to govern our lives. So let me move to our conclusion and application. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. You with me? Okay. 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5. Again, I just want to read this. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Two revelations. Number one, our diet is revealed, is explained, and made holy by the word of God. Our Holy Father in heaven has given us his holy children, a holy diet, and it's found in the Word of God. Where? Genesis 1, Leviticus 11, and Deuteronomy 14. It has our holy diet right there. And from there, it moves through the Scriptures all the way into the book of Revelation. The second way we make it holy or complete this cycle of holiness in our diet is we pray over our food. Our prayers complete the sacredness of what we're about to eat. The traditional Jewish prayer that's over 2,000 years old, this is the prayer that the apostles were praying, this is the prayer that Jesus was praying, these are what Jewish people prayed back in the day, right? This is what they would say over their food before they ate it. I'll read in the Hebrew first, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Olam, Amen. Translated, blessed art thou, Yahweh our God, King of the universe, who has given unto us the bread of the earth for our sustenance. Now you can leave that slide up for a moment. This is the way they pray. They thank God for the food that he has delineated, that which can be eaten, that's before them, they give thanksgiving for that because that sustains us. He created all of this to sustain us, to engage us in this experience of holiness. Think about it. Think about it. He, he's an amazing God, right? He could have made it like Perina dog chow. He could have, he could have said, this is food. Brown, hard, biscuit-like stuff, and it never changes. You just eat it three times a day. It'll sustain you. No, he gives us so many textures and colors and varieties, and then added to that, of course, the animals and the fish. And so we, I, I don't know about you. I, I love food. 
I, it's a blessing. We make, <clears throat> we make dishes. Everything we eat, I mean, we think about what we're doing, and we make it delightful, and it's a big deal, especially on the Sabbath. That's where we make our biggest meals, you know. Really enjoy that. It's the blessing of God, and we give thanks to God for that. As we thank Him for that, that food then becomes holy unto us. This is an important aspect of our lives. It's a holy diet because we're a holy people. It's a special diet because we're a special people. And I want you to think about that every time you eat, every time you eat, as you eat the appropriate foods, may it communicate to you, may it remind you that in Jesus, you were chosen. In Jesus, you were sacred. In Jesus, you were special. And that should do something for you and me every day as we live our lives for His glory. All right, so. In Messianic groups, we add the phrase to our prayer, your provision never fails. Ben, uh, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. So as followers of Jesus, we like him, joyfully and gratefully embrace the biblical diet for many reasons, including being called to be the holy people of God. This holy diet is for his holy people. If you're new in this arena, just know that you have all the time you need to go at your pace, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you as you make that transition into this holy diet. Don't try to beat yourself up over it, all right? It's a light matter, it's not a heavy matter, but it's important nonetheless. And I want to encourage you to pursue it and to step into it and make it part of that everyday experience of being holy. If you have questions about this, see a pastor or an elder. We'll answer all of the questions that you might have. We've all heard the saying, you are what you eat. <laughs> if that's true, and it's not, but if it were true, you would want to eat clean, pure, and holy things, right? Okay. To put it another way, in Messiah, you are already holy. Therefore, eat only clean pure, holy things. Amen? Next week, next week, we're going to unpack the most often cited and misunderstood passage on this subject. Anyone want to guess what that is? What's the most often passage thrown up there to say, oh, no, 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 no. These, these dietary laws have been done away with. Acts! That's a hint. Someone had a, Peter had a vision. We're going to deal with Peter's vision. Next week, you're going to love this. If you found today's teaching enlightening, just wait for next week. We're going to set you free from all the misnomers surrounding Peter's vision. Shabbat Shalom. We are the happy few today.
I'm going to go ahead and uh, do the Aaronic benediction. And uh, it's going to be a real treat today because I am not going to sing it. <laughs> okay, so hopefully you caught that. I'm just going to I'm just going to do the the uh, English and I'm just going to read it. So but we do want to say we do miss our community and all those that serve uh, in the area of cantering for us. Um, it's such a blessing and um, I do not have that gift. So let's just follow along in the reading. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we add, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. So they shall put my name on all the children of Israel and I will bless them. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> 